Hey everyone, this is episode three of the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Brady and Art is joining us today. Um, I think we can just jump right into uh, what we're going to be uh, discussing for today. Yeah, today's about leftism, the psychology of leftism. This is obviously going to be taken heavily from Ted, but some of her own ideas about it. And then we'll also be discussing how primitivism or anarcho-primitivism links in with that, as well as our issues with right-wing ideologies as well. All right, so the psychology of modern leftism. Almost everyone will agree that we live in a deeply troubled society. One of the most widespread manifestations of the craziness of our world is leftism. So discussion of the psychology of leftism can serve as an introduction to the discussion of the problems of modern society in general. So where do you want to start? I think that we should, obviously, this is, that section is from the industrial society and its future manifesto by Ted. Um, so mm -hmm. what we're talking about is leftism, both sort of as a political ideology or umbrella term, as well as a sort of psychological sort of case study in a way in which obviously someone's psychology, their worldview makes up their politics. So those two things go hand in hand. And so when we discuss leftism, we mean it usually both within discussing someone's personality as well as their politics. Ted attributes a lot of what left modern leftism as in 21st century first world leftism is, is sort of directly related to the movement of the modern society. Yeah, and I think we would both agree that leftism isn't even necessarily just a, a, a political stance or a worldview, it's an identity now. Uh, people identify with this position, not just on the basis of what they believe in, but it is who they are. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, the issues start to uh, show themselves. I agree. And it's also, whenever you bring up a critique of leftism, where perhaps you want to be self-critical or critical of others and their positions to better yourself, it's almost they can fundamentally agree with our critiques but they really have a hard time letting go of the term leftist or leftism because they've attached not to what leftism is, but to what that, to what the kind of what the word is rather than the movement, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They have an emotional connection to the word and to the history behind the word, even if uh, the direction that it's being taken in is not necessarily even following the original progression of the movement itself. Yeah. And so I think another good point to take is when we talk of leftism, again, 21st century, first world leftism, it takes heavily from what you can consider the new left, which sort of spans the 60s to 80s. And this is where Ted was, you know, he was still within mainstream society. He was a professor. New leftism was extremely popular on college campuses. And that's what a sort of gave rise to the conservative, you know, college is leftist or liberal indoctrination. That's where that comes from. What to say it is or isn't is a whole nother debate, but that's sort of where it's rooted from. So Ted was around these sorts of people and new leftism in and of itself is a large umbrella term as well. It can include different types of communists. Um, modern Marxism, Leninism, especially Maoism is heavily influenced by this. Forms of anarchism also have taken from it. A social democracy especially takes from this as well. So it's mostly, you could argue it is, activism for the sake of activism and you know ted talks about this jacques Camay talks about this you know it's when you're struggling with these uh, these expressions of the issue rather than the systemic issue 
whether that be capitalism, uh, civilization, you know, what have you, you're attacking more the issues with it rather than the issue itself, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And um, I know we were just talking about this before we started recording, but we can just kind of hop right into it with a lot of sort of mainstream left leaning or left projecting, I would say more left projecting and left leaning groups, um, especially like uh, Black Lives Matter, for instance, where you see some fringes within the Black Lives Matter movement, making the connection between uh, the oppression of minority groups in the Western world and in the United States in specific in capitalism, whereas a lot of the more left projecting uh, masses within those groups are just making the connection between whether it's the police force or diversity in governance or whatever other bullshit they decide to throw out as uh, their rallying cry. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we would both agree that that the latter is not going to really affect any meaningful change. Yeah, and one person that we were talking about before this was Jeffrey Shantin. He just goes by Shantin mostly. He's sort of He's not a leader by any means, but he's sort of like a large face of the Black Lives Matter movement, especially in 2016, 2017, when BLM was a lot more visible in the media, you could say, that he's one of those, you know, leaders that even though he himself is a minority, sort of buys into the larger system and sees issues with that do exist, you know, things of police brutality, over-policing in Black communities, uh, political oppression. These things are issues, and I agree with that, but they are not the issues that I think we should necessarily be seeing as the larger issues, but rather, you know, it would be capitalism, civilization, technology, on and, you know, so on and so forth. And that's not to say that I don't agree with a lot of, you know, marginalized movements, because I do. I do think Black liberation or whatever, you know, marginalized group you want to talk about, it is important as long as it is not the predominant uh, tendency within your movement, because for us, that's not necessarily revolutionary. That is to some extent what the, the path of the system is already on in the first world. Now in the third world, that is a totally different story. So I do think that there are circles, like you mentioned in the BLM movement that are more radical, but for the most part, these sorts of movements take on what you can consider to be social or neoliberal uh, tendencies. And those are completely assimilationist. They aren't revolutionary by any means. They're entirely liberal. Well, yeah. And uh, like we can even extend this further to almost any sort of, uh, and I'm going to keep using this term because I like it, uh, left projection uh, movements in the United States right now. I was very active in the anti-fascist scene in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. And over the years, we sort of saw a, and I would say not even over the years, within about two years, we saw a pretty radical shift between uh, people who were genuinely advocating for uh, a revolution that would include complete system dismantlement and restructuring to more of this sort of uh, DSA, uh, Ilhan Omar, as sort of like, like you said, new left uh, projection happening, which it's it's just enveloping every aspect of radical political culture in the United States, which I think is pretty sad. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that we can talk about, obviously, we have sort of mentioned marginalized groups, but, you know, white politicians or university professors that are politically engaged, these people that seem to be, you know, they want to be the saviors of other groups because it makes them feel good. It's psychologically benefit, you know, it benefits them and makes them feel good, like I said. And so what they do, it's, and they don't want to 
help marginalized groups. They went to assimilate black, uh, black community, LGBT, uh, indigenous Americans, so on and so forth. And it's not that they care for them. It's that they're just assimilating more people and not just there's their voter base, because that obviously benefits them, but into the larger system as a whole. Because once you assimilate a group into what is essentially a bourgeois white culture, you're taken away from what is black culture, what is indigenous culture, so on and so forth. So they don't care for them. They're just caring to benefit both the system and their own popularity. So it's not a, it's more of they're utilizing them. They're not caring for them. And those are two fundamentally different things. Well, yeah, because it's it's not like they're trying to let these oppressed peoples uh, grow as people outside of an oppressive system. Like you're saying, they want to assimilate them into what the white experience in America is like, not let them grow as their own peoples and uh, uh, determine their own future. Yeah, and I think that's, you see that in, uh especially in like, let's take Greta, you know, the face of the, the sort of Gen Z environmental movement. How long have you and I heard the same rhetoric, even in a better fashion from indigenous people or, you know, gay people, so to, you know, and other groups, but no one cared because they don't look how society wants them to, right? Yeah. They don't. So, I mean, I could tell you that the same things have been said for hundreds of years from everyone else but now that a white upset girl who protested at her school said something, oh, dude, it's got to make every headline ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if you saw the live stream, I, I watched it. I'm not sure if you did. Uh, with her meeting um, uh, in D.C., where she's having this uh, discussion with all of these high-ranking political officials in the United States. Um, yeah, like you said, with just people have been raising these issues forever since uh, way back in the 40s and the 50s. But uh, she gets she gets the platform. So mm -hmm. pretty funny. And so as a revolutionary movement, you can see that leftism, we can try and you know, gear it towards this now. Leftism, how, how can we say that? How can I express this? That it's it's an entirely an assimilationist thing, even as communists, right? Because the system, it's going to a need to adopt a system that is socialist or it is going to collapse in on itself. It can't it cannot sustain capitalism forever. In fact, it, it won't. It is just utilizing capitalism to accelerate its own growth and then move on. The same way that capital has changed over time and has needed to move on or it would collapse in on itself. Technology has to do the same thing. It has to move into a sort of communist production. And so communists aren't even revolutionary in that sense. They're sort of just, they're sort of the forerunners. They're moving the movement forward, so to speak. Yeah, totally. And I think it needs to be very clear that um, when we are sort of uh, expressing these critiques of the left and of the perception of the left, um, that we are not inviting uh, sort of Ted Shed uh, gamers on the internet to uh, join our circles. That's not what we want. And that's not what Ted wanted either. So if, if you disagree with us in our uh, sort of assessment of leftist, for uh, lack of a better word, culture or progression, please feel free to uh, discuss it with us in the comments or on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I just feel like we need to make that very clear that we are not in favor of then right-leaning eco-fash types. Yeah. And in certain writings, I would say that the systems need a trick. One of the newer editions, it might has it in there. I'm not sure about the older ones, but Ted writes that, you know, it is true that in primitive societies, there was, uh, there was abuse against women 
children and LGBT people. But he says in a footnote, I would never condone violence against groups on the basis of their identity, gender, or sexual orientation. But, you know, eco-fascists will read right over that. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, care. yeah. They, they don't they don't care uh, if it doesn't fit their narrative. So and uh, one thing that I think is funny as well is that um, leftists will agree that right wingers, uh, mostly fashion Nazi types, don't have an actual message or theory that they that they twist um, what oppressed peoples want to hear, um, especially like in Nazi Germany, where they took over the socialist name and even Hitler admitted it himself that they only took on. Uh, the name socialist to garner support from the people, they will recognize that. But in the same breath, when they talk to an eco-fash Ted Shed type, they will just say, okay, so this is indicative of everyone who believes uh, or spreads anti-technology messages. So uh, it's, I think it's kind of funny and hypocritical. Yeah. And so overall, like what, what we see as an issue of leftism and even some right-wing politics they're not revolutionary. They don't question the fundamentals of the system. Even if they do, they would be very quick to use the system to garner other, to other support or reach other goals. For example, um, communists who are anti-civilization, which I used to be and I know other people that are. It's like, if you want it, you're going to have to use technology to get to that point and then maintain technological society. You can't just abandon it and then expect communism to survive because people will create what can be considered traditional forms of organization and communism may not be one of those those forms. So you can't you can't be like I'm an I'm an anti tech communist. That just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's pretty funny too how uh, these communists will uh, uh, the same communists who call themselves primitive communists will shit on uh, reformers within the framework of capitalism, but then will sort of wholeheartedly and just with everything in their being throw themselves at technological reformism because it's like the alternative scares them, which I think is kind of funny because that's the exact critique that they use against social democrats and other neoliberal types. I agree. And so when we discuss the psychology of leftism, uh, what Ted talks about are feelings of inferiority and over-socialization. And I will go over feelings of inferiority, but my critique of sort of Ted's ideas he actually presents here is a lot of what he sees as an issue with leftism is more of just an issue with society as a whole. And so we can sort of see these ideas spread across all of society, but you can also pinpoint it within leftism. And that's where our critique comes from, is the leftist movement has adopted these, these traits into itself almost wholeheartedly. And so feelings of inferiority or more that you are projecting your inferior identity onto your politics. Oh, totally. And I think that if you have been around in any sort of uh, radical leftist circles, you can see it's uh, this manifesting itself uh, almost immediately upon entering those circles. Yeah. And so that's not to say every leftist is. And no point do we ever say all leftists feel inferior because that is just intellectually dishonest. But that is a large hallmark that you can notice within leftist discourse. And then also you have over socialization, which essentially means, let's say it like this, you socialization is a process, you know, of being socialized, adopting the norms and the the values of society into yourself in an effort to be, you know, to conform to it. Over socialization is when you attempt to act out of those norms, you think you're rebelling, but you're actually we, you know, you're furthering those, those sort of uh, values. Uh, that would be typically within your activism that we talked about LGBT, a lot of what tends to be white, white savior complexes is essentially what over socialization is. 
uh, very much so, because it tends to be more popular, this form of leftism within uh, privileged white people rather than uh, marginalized groups, but it still can exist in those circles. But it's that you're continuing the system, as I talked about with like communists who are, they aren't really rebelling against the system, they're just furthering it as essentially what over-socialization is. And I would say they are a large clique within the leftist movement today. Oh yeah, you can see that anywhere you turn. Like, especially uh, so-called radicals who then throw their weight behind uh, whatever progressive politician seems to rear themselves up around uh, election time. Like, you see, every time the election rolls around, we saw a huge shift in 2016 uh, with sort of political radicals when Bernie Sanders threw himself in the uh, in the campaign, and we're seeing it again. You don't have to yeah. take our word for it. Just Just look at the people around you, and you'll see it for yourself. Yeah, and so... A lot of what we can see also bleeds, like we talked about with primitivism, and Ted wrote a piece called A Critique of Primitive Life, and it's not a critique of, in that sense that you might be thinking of, but rather of anarcho-primitivism, or it's Truths of Primitive Life, A Critique of Anarcho-Primitivism is what it's called, and he criticizes uh, people like Zerzan and other primitivists as overgeneralizing primitive people, and what you can, om- he doesn't admit it, but it's the, it's the noble savage which is a colonialist understanding of history. It's what it is. They are continuing a colonialist conception of history as you know, nearly vegetarian or totally vegetarian, uh, eco-friendly, e- egalitarian, friendly to gays and women. And while it is true and that we have seen that historically in certain groups, to say all are like that is intellectually dishonest because there, there are conceptions of primitive people that don't act like that. There just, there just is because no one human community will be like the other because we are dynamic. So to oh, exactly. overgeneralize, like that, to overgeneralize, isn't in itself racist. Yeah, and definitely. So I, can pull up, uh, I can pull an example here. Uh, the Bushmen and some indigenous Australian uh, groups have shown sides of what we consider to be patriarchal. The Mbuti have obvious eyewitness examples of play and actual violence between members for problem solving. So where we can lash out on each other, that that exists with all within all human societies. That is just a aspect of our nature, so to speak. Yes, and I think that it needs to also be clear that just because this isn't a quote unquote aspect of our nature, that we that we do not uh, necessarily condone or endorse acts of violence between members of communities but like you're saying that it just happens that's just a reality and Um, again that's not to say that we should strive for any of these patriarchal warlike systems that is just to show that those have existed and to say that we have to force ourselves to fit a certain standard uh goes against what primitivists see as wild or human nature because now you have to force people to act away and that itself is a form of domestication yeah, so I just, there's a, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. You see all these movements happening uh, and it's it's difficult to sort of gain an understanding of where these people are coming from within those sort of left projecting groups uh, because their, me- uh, their messages are so contradicting. And as like uh, Art just said, even within primitivist circles, there's Zanuck types, uh, you see a lot of people going against their own message uh, being backhanded with themselves. So it's a it's a weird political climate that we live in and we exist in right now. I sort of think we're at a crossroads. Um, I don't know how much you agree with that, but I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see what's going to be happening here pretty soon. Oh, I absolutely agree. And 
I mean, this is the system's neatest trick that I ref referenced earlier is leftism and almost all political ideologies that fit onto the standard political spectrum. It's, it's giving you these false conflicts or it, not even false that they exist, but it's almost that you're solving the contradiction of the, of the system for it. You are, you're actualizing the furthering of the system. For example, it would be, uh, let's take um, women's rights. Not to say that women don't deserve the same respect as men. No one, you know, no one on this podcast would ever say that. But the political movement towards it allowed women to enter the workforce and apply their, you know, each of their individual skills to the system. And so it benefited the system in the long run. Not to say that, again, I have to keep repeating myself because someone will be like, oh, you hate women's rights. And no point am I saying that. I'm just, that is just a reality of it. You know, it's given these false or quasi social issues or economic issues for people to fight against and it's sort of pacifying our true revolutionary movement which would be against technology civilization in the dominant economic system which in our case is capital or capitalism yeah so i think in talking about that um i think what we could sort of wrap up on uh for a few minutes just kind of talk about what we need to do to combat those uh, those types within a revolutionary movement. And I'll let you take it off because I know you've got some pretty good ideas on this one. Yeah, so a lot of it is, you know, let's say you have a primitivist, uh, anarcho-primitivist of the Zerzanic tradition wanting to, you know, integrate into your movement. It's about very much challenging their ideas the same way you would challenge an eco-fascist who wants to join. It's, you know, you are misguided and you are simply acting within the realm of the system. You are not fighting against it, you are fighting for it. You're just fighting against the current conception of the system. That's all they're fighting against is the current conception. What they're looking for, whether or not they like to admit it, is what the future may look like and what the system needs to survive. So you need to be constantly challenging these ideas. You need to have a coherent ideological set within your organization, whether that's a cell or a quasi-vanguard, a vanguard, you know, whatever organization a movement decides to have needs to have coherent ideology and methodology of keeping and recruiting members. And so it's about keeping out leftists and even, of course, right-leaners, eco-fascists, anyone of that nature. Yeah. And I think you also need to be very, very prepared, at least on a personal basis. I know both of us have experienced this, uh, to be attacked by these people, uh, people that you used to think were friends or uh, comrades. Uh, be prepared for them to to attack you and uh, they're going to be ruthless uh, when you start to sort of criticize their structure of beliefs and explain to them that what they're fighting for actually isn't revolutionary and they are just bolstering the system to keep people domesticated, uh, they will attack you. Um, so if you're not prepared to do that, you need to keep reading up on theory, get yourself prepared because it's not going to be pretty once you actually start to challenge those systems. Yeah, and we've seen it within our own friend group. Uh, a recent friend of ours uh, converted away from Maoism towards a sort of not, you know, nihilism, egoism, anti-tech, and of course, just the the second he did that, everyone hounded on him. He's and he he's black, and he's gotten racist comments. They've, people have called him half-breed, for example, the other day, and these are coming from people who consider themselves anti-racist and anti-fascist, but give off the same rhetoric because someone has left their movement because they think they own these people. They think they have a monopoly on individuals. And this goes where Ted says that leftism is inherently collectivist, but in a negative nature. So it gets a collective mindset and it's sort of cultish, 
that if you leave, you it's almost like you have to be excommunicated, so to speak. And they do that and they do it violently. Yeah, it's it's exactly what happened to me when I left the Catholic Church. Uh, when you're inside the church, the the ideas of, oh, peace and love and unity between people. But as soon as you leave that space, it's reverting to hostility, aggression, and intolerance for people. So it's, uh, it's I think it's pretty amusing, to be honest. But I, at least from experiencing it myself, it's not fun going through it. But, you know, it, it's always great to see how uh, people end up turning on their own beliefs. Oh, yeah, it's it's always amusing when someone's a dedicated leftist and then you sort of slap in the face with the real with a reality check. And then a lot of the time, like you and me have admitted this uh, recent converts away from leftism admitted. They look back and they're like, man, you were you're right. You know, not to tilt my own ego about it, but that's I've, you and I have been both been told that, oh, well, you were right about it. Just, you know, because we are. <laughs> well, yeah. And like even some of my first interactions uh, with art. Um... I sort of toted, toed that line that like, uh, I don't agree with you because uh, you're racist and you hate disabled people and you hate trans people. And I didn't understand what I was arguing against. I was just arguing. I was pushing a line that I was told to push because someone was challenging my own beliefs. And once I actually sat down and talked with art, I realized, wow, I was literally just arguing because I've had I've had that built into my brain from the people I was talking to from the books I was reading that anything that challenges my narrative uh, cannot be investigated it has to be crushed mm-hmm. whether or not there's truth within the argument or not that's a completely different story but yeah uh, and I would go as far to say as that that sort of mindset that is extremely popular in leftism is you know essentially what you can say is a liberal philosophy it, it's what's what Mao talked about in combating liberalism it's so ironic that they, you know, leftists are like, I'm not a liberal, but then continue the same sort of mindset and rhetoric that liberals have against people that are different from them, ideologically speaking. Even within leftist circles, it's really funny to see leftist infighting. You don't believe the exact same thing I believe? Well, you are wrong and you are reactionary. And I think it's funny, too, how within all these different leftist circles, whether they're Trotskyists or Marxist-Leninists or Maoists, they believe that that their conception of the society that they want to build uh, is so completely radically different from each other when they're essentially arguing for the same thing. Yeah, the, the only difference is, uh, like, you know, like when you really get down to it, Trotskyism, you know, does have a different conception of history, but they were born out of the same conditions uh, that in Marxism-Leninism, that they are very similar to one another, that a lot of the time the fighting almost, again, it's sort of what you talked about. It's their, it's their identity that they're protecting, not their ideology. They're trying to stop themselves from having cognitive dissonance, which is what I definitely faced when I realized I didn't think I was a leftist anymore, but I wanted to be. So I tried to blend left communism with primitivism. And that, you know, that went on for several months before I realized, you know, this this just isn't what I believe. Yeah, I mean, I definitely went through that as well. And you can sort of attest to that back when I was like a fucking post-left anarchist who was, uh, who only called myself post-civ because I still wanted to identify with the left. And I didn't know why I wanted to identify with the left. I just knew that I, for lack of a better uh, term, I had to, because that's all I knew. So yeah, just keep Mm -hmm. educating people keep challenging the narratives uh just 
yeah, I mean, there's nothing else to say other than that. I was going to keep going, but that's all you need to do. Just keep educating, challenging the narratives, and uh, never give up. But uh, this has been episode three of the Uncivilized podcast. Thank you all for joining us today, and uh, you all have a great night.